Well, good morning, friendship. Hey, we're in Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna start out in this passage. Once again, we've been doing it every single week. We're in the series called Stand Firm. And I just gotta tell you, every single week, I'm, I'm convinced more and more that we're right where God wants us to be. We're right in the subject matter um, that is no accident that we're talking about spiritual warfare uh, because I believe that all of us are in this time of war. And I, I wanna continue to dig in Uh, This morning, Ephesians chapter 6, I want to start out in this passage. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And, you know, as we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, what we see, what we're reminded of is that we live in a time of, of war. And I don't just mean the, the climate of our nation and of our world. This is a spiritual war that, that I'm talking about. And, and just to be very clear, there is a battle raging for the souls of men and women. And I don't always get super emotional uh, when we sing, but I I got so choked up this morning as we were singing, I'm going to see a victory. Because I, listen, y'all, I'm going to be a church that does battle for the souls of men and women. That's what we're here for. That's what this is all about. We, We need spiritual armor because we need to stand firm. We need to defend ourselves, to stand firm and hit the strength of his might, But y'all, when it comes down to it, the reason we want to stand firm, the reason we need spiritual armor is so that we can win souls. And this is a term that's kind of gone out of style over the last couple decades. There was a term that used to be used quite often, especially in Baptist churches. You ever heard the term soul winner? Anybody remember that that term? Um, I just was thinking about that term. It just kind of came into my mind. But really, that's the idea behind battle. When we talk about seeing a victory, it's not just seeing this victory in our lives, like, man, we've got the good life now, but no, to really experience victory. As a church, if we're going to experience victory, it's because we're we're winning souls to Jesus Christ. We're winning souls. And and last week, we started talking about gospel shoes in verse 15, and I just had a Holy Spirit moment this week when I felt like, you know, we're just going to stick in... We're going to stick with gospel shoes. So we're doing gospel shoes part two this week because I think it's so important for us to just hang out here for another Sunday. You know, feet, we talked about last week, are our base and our foundation. It affects how we stand and it affects how we, how we move. And we, we made the statement that only by strapping on gospel shoes can we be rooted and ready to go. And I used all kinds of football illustrations last week. I'll spare you all of that this week. But, but I, let me just remind you of what I said last week. I, I used the example of football cleats. 
you know, how these shoes are able to help us to, you know, get a grip on the ground and help us to move and to cut and to do all these things. And I, I also use the example of a linebacker in his, his ready position and how he's ready to go, how, how he's ready to move. And, uh, you know, we talk about being rooted and ready to go. The idea of being rooted the fact that 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, defines the gospel for us, where to be rooted in the gospel. The gospel is the work of Jesus, his death and his burial and his resurrection for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we talked about this gospel, the gospel of peace, Paul says in Ephesians 6, it brings us peace with God. And so we're to be rooted in this gospel that Paul says is of first importance, that there's nothing more important than having peace with God. With God, and so we're to be rooted in that, and we're to be ready to go. And I hope, I hope none of you had nightmares about ugly feet last week. Uh, I hope you forgive me for showing ugly pictures. Um, but, but we saw that God says that feet are beautiful. They're beautiful because they represent going, taking good news to bad people, to sinners like you and me. And that you know, when we strap on gospel shoes, it, what happens is we we move toward others. We move towards others and we move against the enemy's work in their lives. And, and so what I mean is this, that, that the people that, that have not put their faith in Jesus, that are outside of a relationship with God, man, their souls are, uh, there, there is war that's being waged for their souls. It says that the scripture said that the enemy in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he blinds the minds of, of unbelievers. Like he's at work in their life to blind them from the light of the gospel. And when we put on gospel shoes, when we're ready to go, man, we, we move towards people that are in darkness and we move against the enemy's work in their lives. We're, we do battle for their souls with Jesus. And we said that you know, feet aren't meant to be pretty, they're meant to be functional. They're meant to get the job done. And our job is to get the gospel to others. And then God's job is to change their hearts and to draw them to himself. And so, you know, a, a, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a Sunday that we called State of the Church Sunday, and we talked about kind of our vision, this long-term picture of the preferred future that God has, we believe, for our church. And I just want to remind us of that vision again, that our vision is to be a local church with global impact, that God has planted us here to impact our community uh, our, our county where God has placed us, but we want that, that impact to move from here into all the world. So we want to be a local church with global impact. And the way that that happens, it happens by us reproducing disciples, by people coming to Jesus and growing in their faith, and then reproducing leaders, people able to lead themselves and to lead their families and become leaders in our church and in their community until those leaders, some of those leaders, will go out and plant churches and reproduce churches all across the globe. That is our vision of, really, we believe it's God's vision for his church. And that's our vision. But the way that we, we become that kind of church, to, to be this kind of church, it begins with every single one of us, person by person, strapping on our gospel shoes. We become this kind of church with gospel shoes when it's, it's normal for, for people to invite their not yet believing friends to church. When it becomes normal for us to be praying for our not yet believing friends. 
we'll have gospel shoes on when it becomes normal for us to be having gospel conversations with each other about the goodness and the grace of God, but also with others who don't know him yet. That's when we'll be a church that has gospel shoes on. Let me say it this way. A church with, with no gospel shoes is, is going nowhere. A church with no gospel shoes is, is going nowhere. In other words, when, when a church leaves her gospel shoes in the closet, that church is wasting her time. And you may be like, wow, that's really stereotypical that you would talk about the church being a female when you're talking about shoes. All right, no, I'm doing that because we're called the bride of Christ. That's supposed to be a joke, all right? Lighten up, people, all right? The church is the bride of Christ, and we're to put on gospel shoes. But when we leave our gospel shoes in the closet, man, we're wasting our time. Let me give you an illustration. I was just talking to my friend, John, who's here. We've been friends since college. There was a point, it was either in college or just after college, where I remember there was this, this pair of Jordan shoes um, that, that caught our eye, and uh, he barely remembered this. Um, he, there was a, they were white Jordans, all right? And there was a pair that had like one thick blue stripe on it that I liked, and John bought that pair, and I was like, ah. So I bought another pair that had a silver stripe, and I loved, I thought these shoes looked so cool. These, you know, were Jordans back in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, and I remember these shoes were awesome. I bought these shoes, but for whatever reason, when I got home, I put them on, I just was like, I don't know, these don't feel right. They don't fit right. And so this pair of Jordans that I paid a pretty penny for, I stuck in the closet and they sat there for a while. John was wearing his ones with the blue stripe and I was like, man, I wish I had that pair. But I have the ones with the silver stripe. So I, I like just set them in my closet. And it was probably, I don't know, two or three years later, for whatever reason, I went into my closet and I put those shoes on again. And it was like, okay, these, these feel different than I remember. I, kinda, I like these more. And I started wearing them to where, man, they were so comfortable. And I loved those shoes that, man, I wore those things out. And if I'm being honest, ever since that point, I've been looking for a pair of white athletic shoes that would match like my love for those shoes ever since. But you know what, for, for multiple years, those shoes that I paid a lot for uh, and were worth a lot, man, they sat collecting dust in my closet. I mean, it was a waste. It was a waste of money. Why did I even, why did I even purchase those things? But man, when I put them on and they fit and I wore them, man, life was good. Life was good. And I use that example because I want to illustrate the impact of gospel shoes. As the church, man, there's, there's some of you are shoeholics, right? You could have a whole closet full of shoes. Um, you know, and I, I would love to have more shoes myself, okay? Um, but for the church, there's only one pair of shoes, that were made to wear, that fit, that we were created to wear their gospel shoes. And if we as a church exist, but we leave our gospel shoes on the shelf, man, we're wasting our time. And, and there's a lot of churches across our country and across our world who have left their gospel shoes on the shelf that are maybe 50 people or 70 people, and they remain 50 people for 50 years. And listen, y'all, we're called to do battle. We're called to go after souls and to put on our shoes, to strap on our shoes, to get them off the shelf, out of the closet, and onto our feet so that we can move out 
towards people who don't know Jesus, that we can move against the enemy's work in their lives. Because, listen, if we are a church that's not rooted in the gospel and is not evangelizing, is not sharing our faith and seeing people one to Jesus, then we will be a dead church. We will be a dead church. And I'm telling y'all, coming out, this is why we had State of the Church Sunday, because coming out of COVID, coming out of all of this, we have this incredible new opportunity to continue to grow as a church that says we're going to be serious about the mission of God. We're going to strap on our gospel shoes, and we're going to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, whenever God calls us to go, we will go. This is so important. This is the vision of our church. And I just was convicted this week that if we just move on to the next piece of armor and talk about how we protect ourselves, but we don't camp out in this area and talk about what it means to to go and to be ready to go with the good news, man, we can just preach and talk and enjoy fellowship week in and week out. But man, we're wasting our time if we're not bringing people to the foot of the cross. Amen. We've got to strap on gospel shoes. So I want to just talk for a couple minutes about this idea of of going and being ready to go. And I want to look at a few words from the life and the the ministry of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, we're just going to go there for a few minutes. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus, in the midst of his, his life, his ministry, this really important passage that I just want us to camp out in for a few minutes Starting verse number 35, Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If y'all wouldn't mind, I just want to pause for a moment and just just pray as we jump into this this passage. Father God, we we just come to you this morning, and uh, I'm grateful for uh, this church, your church that you have brought us to this morning, this place where we can worship you, we can lift up your name, we can encourage one another as we pursue you. And yet, Lord, this morning as we open your word, as we look into uh, the scriptures, as we see and observe the life of Jesus and we hear the words that he spoke and we witness the life that he lived, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to whatever it is that you want to say to us. God, that we would be willing to listen God, that we'd be willing to obey. God, that we'd be willing to go as you call us, where you call us, when you call us, God. We are yours. And so this morning we submit ourselves to you. Would you speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the central truth as you look at this this passage, as you witness the life and the, the, the words of Jesus, Verse 37 is really the central piece of this passage where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a harvest. And when you think about a a physical 
harvest. You're thinking about a, the, the gathering of a crop, right? That, that seeds have been sown and now you're reaping the, the, the fruit of this. A, a crop has, has been produced and now there's this gathering of that crop. And so this is what he's referring to when he speaks of a harvest. But he's not talking about a physical harvest. He's talking about a spiritual harvest, a harvest of souls for salvation. This is what he is talking about, that this harvest of souls that are, are ready to, 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 to be gathered, that, that seed, <clears throat> seeds of the gospel have been planted in the hearts and the minds of people, that people are desperate and they're needy and they, they, they need Jesus. And so there's this harvest that is just ripe, that's ready to be harvested. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are, are few. And so he says there's a need. There's a need for more workers. There, there's a need for more, more, more laborers who will sow gospel seeds so that we can reap saved souls. And, and he says this, that the work to be done is, is greater than the workforce. So there's this incredible work that needs, needs to be done, but we, we need more laborers. We need more workers in this harvest. And, and you know, the, the church has, has been guilty of, you know, using this um, as a plea to, like, get more church workers. You know what I'm saying? Um, and we were a little bit guilty of this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about State of the Church Sunday because, you know, this principle is always true when it comes to kingdom work. There's always more work to be done than we have workers, right? And everyone who works in the kids' ministry is like, amen, all right? Um, every area. So we, we put out a plea a couple weeks ago, and I do want to say thank you. There's folks who have uh, said, man, we want to we serve in the kids' ministry. Praise the Lord. I'm so grateful for that, for folks who will invest their lives in the next generation. We need that. And especially as we're, we're becoming more, you know, coming back to normal, whatever that is, you know, we'd love to have 9 a.m. services, but we need more, more folks investing in kids. And so there's a need there. Um, folks have signed up to say we want to be part of the host team because as, again, as the days are coming when we're going to start opening up the front entrance and these different things, we want to serve people well. We want to we want to um, welcome people and be hospitable people that represent Jesus to people. So there's need there. There's need in our, our, our tech team. There's needs all over our church, right? So there's always that need, and that is true here. But that's not specifically what Jesus is talking about there. I did put in my shameless plug. We do need more workers, all right? But, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the harvest. There's a spiritual harvest that people need Jesus. And so, there's, so there's, there's a need for more workers, more to, people to sow the seeds of the gospel so that we could see more people one to Jesus. And this principle is always true. Well, I want us to kind of backtrack through this passage. Central truth here, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But Jesus, I want, I want us to see there's, there's first of all a place of going. Verse 35 the place of going. It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. So the place of going, the place where Jesus went. Did you see where he went? It was everywhere, right? It was, it was in the synagogue, but it wasn't just in like the holy place. It wasn't just in the temple, the synagogue. I mean, it says that he went throughout all the cities and, and the villages, like he went everywhere with the gospel. 
And, and, and I just bring that up because I want to challenge us to remember. It's, it's so easy for, to forget this, y'all, that every place that we go, every place that you go is a mission field. It is a harvest field. Every single place you go, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go into your workplace, when you, for some of you, when you go into your home, when you go into your family's home, wherever you go is a mission field. Every place that you go is a place where you can strap on your gospel shoes. It is a place, listen, every place you go is an opportunity for you to bring the presence of Christ. I don't know if you think about this. There's, there's sometimes where I have to go into a meeting where I'm going to meet with, with somebody or I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit across the table from somebody who I know is struggling or is in pain or is uh, dealing with sin in their life. And, and I'm telling you, I'm a pastor, but there's times where I go into meetings where I'm like, I don't know the right thing to say. I don't know how to encourage this person. I don't know how to challenge them. I don't know how to be a pastor like I'm supposed to be. And so I, I pray and I beg God. But you know what? I ask God. I say, God, would you just help me to like not try to find the right words or to do the right thing? Help me to just remember that as I go into this place, as I sit across the table from somebody, I am bringing the presence of Christ into this moment. And I'm telling you all, the presence of Christ is so much better and more powerful than the perfect word from a pastor from the right words or the right emotions or whatever. What this person needs, what you and I need is the presence of Christ. And if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. The presence of Christ is with you and in you. And at every circumstance and situation you go into, you bring the presence of Christ into. And so every place that you go is a mission field and it's an opportunity for you to bring the presence of Christ and the good news of Christ. And so the place of going was everywhere. The, the purpose of going, as, as, you, as you look at the rest of that verse, verse 35, we see the purpose of going. As Jesus was going throughout the cities and villages, it says that he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and, and every affliction. So what was the purpose of Jesus as he was going everywhere that he went? It, it was to teach and to proclaim the gospel. It was to teach and to proclaim the gospel, the good news, that gospel of, of peace and that we could talk more about this, this healing that he did. But really, you know, as Jesus went around healing disease and affliction, it wasn't just so, you know, people would, would have a better, more comfortable life. The reason that Jesus did those healings and when he exercised demons, the reason he did all of the things that he did was because he was, a pre, he was preaching a gospel of power. And, and everything that he did through the practical ministry, in this case, the healing that he did, he was demonstrating and validating the power of that gospel. He was demonstrating and validating the, the fact that his kingdom has power over the spiritual and the physical realms. And he was putting that on display, the power of the gospel through practical ministry. But his goal in all of this was to proclaim to teach and to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. 
And so the purpose, it was all about proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. And so I want to challenge us to, to remember as you go out today and as you go out into your world tomorrow, every place that you go, school, work, home, everywhere that you go, the marketplace, the neighborhood, every place that you go, the purpose of, of every place that you go into, again, is to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed, to bring the presence of Christ and the word of Christ everywhere that you go. And so Jesus, the place was everywhere. The purpose was to teach and to proclaim, but then the motivation for going. So we talked about the place of going, the purpose of going, the motivation for going. We see in verse number 36. And hopefully you caught this. Verse number 36, he said in Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so the motivation for going, you know what it was? It's, it's compassion, right? It says, the reason that the compassion came was because he saw. He looked out and he saw the crowds. And I don't think this just means he saw this, this whole mass of people just, you know, smashing up against one another. No, he saw with his eyes. He saw, he saw the eyes of others. He saw the, the hearts of others. He saw the lives of people. And he saw that, that they were harassed and helpless, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were in need of someone to lead them. They were lost and wandering around like sheep who have no shepherd to, to guide them. And when he looked out at people, he saw people that needed a savior, that needed a leader, someone who would care for their souls, and they didn't have that. And what, you know what it produced in him? Compassion. Like he cared deeply for those people because they had a need. They were wandering around with, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them. He saw their condition. He saw their need. Man, and it burdened his heart. And again, I want to challenge us with this motivation for going. Because it's easy to say, hey, we need to be a soul-winning church, and we need to do this because of whatever, because we're supposed to, or because we want our church to grow, or whatever. The motivation for going is always compassion for people who are helpless, who need a savior, who need a shepherd. That is the motivation. Y'all used to be one of those sheep without a shepherd. I used to be one of those sheep without a shepherd. Until somebody named Matt strapped on his gospel shoes and moved towards me with compassion. The only way that you and I are going to get compassion in our lives is if we go out into our schools and into our classrooms, our workplaces, our homes, and we look at people 
and we look them in the eyes and we see their condition. They need Jesus. That we all need Jesus. And as Jesus looked around, he was motivated to go because he saw the need of those people. And then I want you to see the, the invitation to go. And this, was, this is the invitation for all of us. Verse number 38, the invitation to go. He says, verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And this is why I was so convicted to, to stop and to come back here this week. Because the invitation is first to pray. The invitation is first to pray, to pray earnestly. It's easy to talk about, again, praying. But man, y'all, this is the first invitation into battle, is to, to pray. To pray is to participate in fulfilling God's mission. Praying isn't just a filler in our church services. Praying isn't just something that we do to feel better, to get stuff off our chest. Praying is part of participating in the mission of God. Praying is part of doing battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls and young men and young women. Prayer is part of this. And, and, and what Jesus said here, man, is so helpful because he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And so the harvest is plentiful, but guess what, y'all? There is a Lord of the harvest that he is sovereign and he is powerful and he is the one who produces the crop. He is the one that does the work. He is the one, in, as, as Paul said in another place here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? Who gave the growth? God gave the growth. So I do my part. I, I, I plant seeds. I, I plant seeds of gospel seeds. I point to Jesus and his goodness and his grace and someone else. God uses someone else, Apollos in this case, to, to water that seed. And every single one of us, before we ever come to faith in Jesus, there's been a series of seeds that have been planted in our life and, and people have planted those seeds and some have watered and furthered that work. But God is the one who gives the growth because he is the Lord of the harvest. He is the one that produces the fruit. He's the one who produces the crop. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest. This is the first invitation because when we pray, what we do is we acknowledge that he is the one with the power. We acknowledge that we don't have the ability to change people's hearts and minds, to convince them to come to Jesus or to come to church, to come to Easter or whatever. We, we confess, we acknowledge that God, you are the one with the power and you are the one that, that does the work. You produce the fruit. You are the one, not me. Not my words, not my charisma, nothing that our church, and it's, it's you. You are the one with the power. And so when we pray, it's because we believe that he is the one with the power and he's the one who produces. And, and, and I, could, I could say this about every, every piece of armor, really about this whole series. We cannot engage in spiritual warfare apart from prayer. We can't do it. We cannot engage in spiritual warfare apart from prayer. 
In Ephesians chapter six, we're gonna go back to this passage on the armor of God because at the end of this passage, after Paul works through every piece of armor that we're to put on, he, he says this. So we could, we could read through this after every single piece of armor and we haven't. I was gonna save this towards the end, but it's so important because this is, this is what I call warfare prayer. Warfare prayer. He says in Ephesians six, verse 18, after talking about every piece of armor, he concludes it by saying, praying at all times in the spirit. So this is spiritual warfare. And so we pray at all times in the spirit because this is spiritual work. This is spiritual warfare taking place. And so we pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So praying for one another, brothers and sisters, saints, and Paul says, pray for me too, for the same thing, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Man, y'all, we look at and we read the words of Paul and we're like, man, he was the boldest Christian, the, the, a, a man that God used like no other person on the planet for the cause of Christ to get the gospel out. And Paul here is saying, hey, please pray for me that God would give me boldness, that I would open my mouth, that I would have courage, that I would proclaim boldly the mystery of the gospel of which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I would declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Because we all have these moments where we're like, I ought to do this. But man, this is hard. I'm nervous. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be laughed at. Paul was there too. You know, you know what that Paul engaged into spiritual warfare? It's prayer. He said, I need you praying for me praying for one another, that we would have boldness. This is warfare prayer, all right? There's a place for praying for, you know, Aunt Betty's, you know, toe that has, you know, in her bunions and all that stuff. There's, pr- there's a place for all of that. That's great. But the re- what God is calling us to is warfare prayer, that we're praying for the souls of men and women. And, and Jesus didn't even say to pray for other souls. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers in to proclaim the gospel because he's saying, hey, if you do your job, I'll do my job. I will convict and I will convince and I will draw hearts to myself. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. And so th- this invitation, it's, it's, it's an invitation to, first of all, to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Again, back in Matthew chapter 9, he says, Pray the Lord of the harvest, uh, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, this invitation is first to pray, but there's also kind of this added prayer here, or added invitation. It's an invitation to join him in his work. He says, Pray that the Lord would send out, send out more laborers or more workers. But I want you to track with me for a second. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus told them to pray for more laborers, he was, he was assuming obedience from his disciples. He was assuming obedience. In other words, he, the assumption was, okay, you are praying not just for the Lord to send more, not just to send laborers, but to send more laborers, which means 
you are part of the workforce. And the reason I say that is because immediately following this, if you, if you, if you move into Matthew chapter 10, immediately after this passage, and we'll, we'll kind of look at it for a second, Matthew 10, it says that he, he called his disciples to him. He gives them authority to heal and do all these things. Verse number five of Matthew 10, it says, then these 12, he names the 12 apostles, these 12, Jesus what? He sent out. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers. And oh, by the way, get going because you're part of that workforce, right? Because he immediately sends them out. He's asking them to pray for more laborers of which they are a part. There's, there's this invitation for us to join him. And so the prayer isn't, the prayer isn't, God, would you send more people to reach lost people? And I'm going to stay here and pray. No, the invitation is you pray and you go. You pray for more laborers. And as you're praying, you go. And so the application for us is, is real simple. It's pray and go. It's pray and go and pray as you go. Pray for, pray for laborers, which includes you which includes me, we are, we are part of that workforce. Our, our prayer isn't, Lord, send others while I stay and pray. No, it's more like Isaiah chapter six, where, Isaiah, where, where God, you know, Isaiah sees the glory of God and he's in the throne room of God and God says, who is going to go for us? And Isaiah throws his hand up and he's like, here I am. Lord, send me. I'll go. I will go. That's the kind of prayer that we're praying. Lord, send out. But as you're sending out others, send me. I'm going to go. It's like that three-word prayer I gave you last week. Whatever, wherever, whenever. God, I'll go. I, my hand's up. Send me. I'm willing. I want you to use me. I don't want others to get in on the fun and me miss out. I want to be a part of all that you're doing. And I want to ask you a question. This isn't in my notes. I need to mark it down so I don't forget this next service. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this. Has God ever used you? Have you ever planted seeds or maybe watered or maybe God allowed you to be the one who who got to experience the harvest of someone coming to faith in Christ because of, of you. You played a part. Maybe even it was just you praying. Maybe you invited them to church at one point. Maybe you somehow put the gospel on display. You served them or you spoke the gospel to them or you prayed with them. Has God ever used you that, to your knowledge to have that kind of impact on somebody else. And I don't, I don't ask that. Please understand me. I don't ask that to guilt trip any of us. I ask that because I want to tell you that we were made for that. And there's no greater joy than to experience God using us to have that kind of, to play that kind of part in somebody else's life. And God wants to do that with every single one of us that you may be more nervous and uncomfortable than you've ever been to share the gospel with someone. But you know what? God typically doesn't work in our comfort zone. 
he typically pushes us out. And that is when we have to rely on him and depend on him. And that is when he does his best work, y'all, is when we're desperate and we let him live his life through us. And we go into a situation, we go, I don't know what to say or how to do this, but God, you do it. I wanna be obedient and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna do your work through me. So we pray as we go. We say whatever, wherever, whenever. We pray for laborers, but that includes us. And, and then we go. And so I just want to take just a, a couple minutes here as we kind of start winding down to talk about this, this idea. And I, don't, I can't even remember if I've introduced or talked about this idea before, but when we talk about going, here's one where I want to take the pressure and relieve us of some pressure here of this obligation that we have to share the gospel is, is to go, is to be on the lookout for what I call persons of peace. I don't know if you've heard this, this term or not, and I just want to talk about it for a couple minutes. Persons of, of peace. And, and this is, this is a, a missionary principle. All right, so I actually pulled some of this off of um, the website from the IMB, the International Mission Board. This is kind of the missionary arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we're a part. Uh, I want to post some stuff on social media later, a, a post that I'm pulling some information from. But this idea of a person of peace, this is a missionary or a church planner principle. So when a, a missionary goes into a foreign culture or a, a, new, a new culture for them, they're, they're on the lookout for what we would call persons of, of peace. These would be people who, are, who display like an openness or a, a, a receptivity. They're like open and receptive to you. They're, they're welcoming to you and, and in turn, like what you have to say. Okay, they're kind of, they're, they're open, they're not hostile against you. I, I want to read this passage, Luke chapter 10. I want to read it uh, and just give us a couple thoughts because I think this can help us as we're praying and, and going. You know, Jesus, this is a similar, very similar passage to Matthew chapter 9, but it's a, it's a totally different occasion. Jesus here is sending out 72 uh, disciples. And I want to read through, um, go back to Luke chapter 10 there on the screen. Uh, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he sends out two by two these disciples to kind of prepare the way for, for Jesus to come and, and, and proclaim the gospel. Verse number two, he said to them, the harvest, here's that the same that same uh, central truth here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse three, what's the very first word he says? Any of you catch that? Okay, go. <laughs> pray, but go. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of, of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Okay, you have a mission, so get there. This is the work I'm calling you to do. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. So you're bringing peace. Remember we talked about the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. He says, go into this house, proclaim, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. In other words, if you come and you're bringing peace and you're, you know, you're an ambassador of peace, you know, you come and whoever is in that house doesn't receive you. Okay, they're kind of like, it's kind of like I would imagine the way I would respond to someone going door to door in my neighborhood. I'm like, first of all, I'm not answering your doorbell because I see you on the video. Okay, I'm, 
I don't know you, I'm not answering the door, but if I answer the door and you're selling me, you know, um, solar panels, I'm like, sorry, our neighborhood, our HOA doesn't allow that, shut the door. Okay, graciously bringing the presence of Christ into that moment. <laughs> but it's, it's that idea, okay, if you go into this house and you're bringing peace, but they don't receive you, they're like, eh, no, they're standoffish, then, okay, it's gonna return to you. But if, but if, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Because there's this idea that they're receptive. But if not, it will return to you. Verse seven, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, okay? If they receive you, if this is a person of peace, they're open to you, hey, don't move on. Hang out there. Stay there for a while. Eat and drink and, and just hang out. Verse number eight, whatever... Uh, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Okay, shake the dust from your feet, in other words, he says. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come Near, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus is, is introducing this principle, what, again, missionaries, church planners, what we could call the person of peace. So you're looking for someone who is, who is open and receptive to you and in turn to what you would have to say. All right, so, so let me give you a list of things here. We often recognize the person of peace because they will, one, they will welcome you. Number two, they will receive you. Number three, be open to you and your friendship. Number four, be open to what you have to say about Jesus. Number five, be interested in and open to the life you live as a follower of Jesus. And number six, assist or serve you in some ways. All right, so what you're looking for is people who, who kind of lean into you. All right, they're open to you in a relationship with you. And they may even, they, they just kind of like... Um, I don't know, they're just they're open and welcoming to who you are. Does that make sense? And I think, again, I mentioned my friend Matt uh, when we were in high school. Um, there was a lot of people that I don't think were very open to him and welcoming to him. And it wasn't like he was going around handing out tracts or preaching the gospel to them, but I leaned into a relationship with him. And so he leaned in. And over a course of time, I mean, we didn't talk about Jesus for months, but we were friends. He invited me into his home, um, and I received that. And I could have been what you might call a person of peace because I was, I was open and receptive to a friendship, to a relationship. And so this is, is what we're talking about, is, is looking for persons of, of peace. So we pray and we go, we pray as we go. And what we're doing is we're praying for and we're being alert for persons of, of peace in our class, on our team, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, who are the people that seem open to relationship with you? They're not standoffish. Maybe they even initiate relationship with you. And then if, if, you're, if we're alert, if we're looking for them, if we're seeking them out, listen, the reason I share this is because this takes the pressure off of us. Of going, I have to go door to door and I have to tell everybody the gospel. No, who has God put in your life that he may have put in your life as a person of peace? That he said, hey, Here's somebody that needs the gospel and they're open to you because you're gonna be the one that delivers that good news to them. And so I'm putting them in your life. 
I'm just dropping them right in your lap. Is there a person of peace in your life? Is there a person of peace in your life? And, and again, I want to challenge us to this, to just be alert to this, to be on the lookout, to be intentional, to seek out people of peace. Maybe you go to this coffee shop all the time, and the person who serves you, they seem open to you in the conversation. God, is this a person of peace? Would you give me opportunities? I want to just lean into this, because maybe, this, maybe there's a harvest here that you want me to reap. And so look for the person of peace. Again, I'm going to share that article that shares some of these other thoughts and things that we can be praying. I think it might be just a helpful tool for you to, to read. It's also in our um, digital bulletin, the, the Bible app. It's, there's a link to it there. But here's what I want to do. Um, Andrew, why don't you come on up here? Um, I want to ask you all to stand with me. I just want to end this service um, just in a time of, of prayer. And uh, we're going to sing a song here in a moment. We're going to worship the Lord together. But I want us to worship the Lord first through praying. Um, and, and here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, is I just want to take a few minutes for us to pray as a church. And so for some of you, maybe, maybe you want to pray standing where you're at. You want to just close your eyes and, and pray to the Lord. Maybe you want to sit where you're at. Maybe you want to kneel where you're at. Maybe you want to come up to this altar and pray but here's what, what I would love for us to pray we're, in, we're doing battle I would love for us to just pray for our church to pray for a person of peace you know there's persons of peace in our community that may be a gateway into families and neighborhoods God wants to use us to reach. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for Easter. And maybe God would give us a harvest. Maybe God would allow us to plant seeds. Maybe God would allow us to water. Maybe, just maybe, God would allow us to see a harvest. time for us to do battle on our knees before the throne of grace praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would give us as, as a church a harvest of souls but also God would you use me me to sow 